0: And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West. The most haunted city in the country. Excuse me. I've got the hiccups. What day! today's November 28th, 332nd day of the year. 33 days remain till the year's over with. And we get to do it again. Alrighty, it's National French Toast Day, Uh, National Day of Giving, Red Planet Day, National Deal Week, yesterday was Cyber Monday, Blue Christmas, which honors uh, first responders, Lung Cancer Awareness Month, National Children's Month, World Vegan Month, National Peanut Butter Lovers Month, Movember. National Epilepsy Awareness Month, National Native American Heritage Month, Manatee Awareness Month, National Promegranate Month, National Novel Writing Month, and National Adoption Month. Alrighty, all that having been said, in five eighty seven AD, Treaty of Andelot. King Gunther of Burgundy recognizes Chilbert Childebert II as his heir. 936 AD, Xi Jing Tang is enthroned as the first emperor of the later Jin by Emperor Taizong of Lao, following a revolt against Emperor Fei of uh, later Tang. 1443, Skanderberg and his forces liberate Kruja in central Albania and raise the Albanian flag. 1470, Champa Divet War, Emperor Li Tan Tong of Daivet formally launches his attack against Champa. Okay, in 1520, after 38 days, an expedition under the command of Ferdinand Magellan completed the first passage through the Strait of Magellan and entered the Pacific Ocean. 1582, in Stratford-on-Avon, William Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway paid 40 pounds, that's the equivalent of 12,261 pounds in 221 uh, money, 2021 money It was a bond they posted in, uh, <coughs> in lieu of uh, posting wedding bands that enabled them to marry immediately now wedding bands were an announcement and still got the hiccups in church notifying everybody they planned to get married and that was so that if there was an objection, there was time for it to be raised. Objections might be uh, a previous undivorced marriage or being related uh, too close, such as brother and sister, or in some cases, first cousins couldn't marry. Um, As one of my relatives put it, if you're too closely related, your kids would be sitting on the front porch playing the banjo. And certainly that could well be true. I think the one that told me that spent time on the front porch playing the Vangio. 1627, the polish lithuanian Commonwealth Navy had its greatest and last naval victory in the Battle of Oliwa. 1660, at Gresham College, 12 men, including Christopher Wren, Robert Boyle, John Wilkins, and Sir Robert Moray, decided to found what became known as the Royal Society. Now, the it's a, a learned society, and the UK's National Academy of Sciences. It promotes science and its benefits, recognizes excellence in science, supports outstanding science, provides scientific advice for policy education, public engagement, and fostering international and global cooperation. It was given a royal charter by uh, King Charles II as the Royal Society, and it's the oldest continuously existing scientific academy in the world. Now, keep in mind that it was uh, <coughs> uh, quite often, their legends in their own minds, but sometimes uh, they come up with uh, important uh, scientific discoveries. 1666, at least 3,000 men of the Royal Scots Army, led by Tam Dalyell of Benz uh, defeated about 900 Covenanter insurgents led by James Wallace of Hawkins in the Battle of William Green. 1785, the first Treaty of Hopewell is signed by which the U.S. acknowledges Cherokee lands in what's now East Tennessee. 1798, trade between the U.S. and modern-day Uruguay begins when John LeMay's uh, frigate John arrives in Montevideo. <coughs> mm, excuse me. 1811. Beethoven's piano concerto number no. five in E flat major, Op. 73, premieres at the Gewandhaus in Leipzig. 1814. The Times of London becomes the first newspaper to be introduced on a to be produced on a steam-powered printing press built by the German team of Carnegie and Bauer. 1821, Panama Independence Day. Panama separates from Spain and joins uh, Grand Columbia. 1843, Hawaiian Independence Day. Kingdom of Hawaii is officially recognized by the UK and France as independent nation on this date. 1861, American Civil War. Confederate states of America accept a rival state government's pronouncement that declares Missouri to be the 12th state of the Confederacy. 1862, American Civil War, Battle of Cane Hill, Union Troops under General James G. Blunt defeat General John Marmaduke's Confederates. 1885, Bulgarian victory in the Serbo-Bulgarian War preserves the unification of Bulgaria. 1893, women's suffrage in New Zealand concludes with the 1893 New Zealand general election. 1895, the first American automobile race takes place over the 54 miles from Chicago's Jackson Park to Evanston, Illinois. Frank Duryea wins in approximately 10 hours. That was about 5 miles an hour, folks. 1899, the Second Boer War. The British column is engaged by Boer forces at the Battle of uh, Mulder River. And although the Boers withdraw, the British suffer heavy casualties. So if you were determining who won uh, based on casualties the Boers did nineteen o five Irish nationalist Arthur Griffin founds uh, Sean Finn as a political party with the main aim of establishing a dual monarchy in Ireland nineteen o eight a mine explosion in uh, Mariana, Pennsylvania kills hundred and fifty four There was one survivor. 1912, Albania declared its independence from the Ottoman Empire. 1914, World War I, following a uh, war-induced closure in July, the New York Stock Exchange reopens for bond trading. 1917, the Estonian Provincial Assembly declares itself the sovereign power of Estonia. 1918, the Soviet forces move against Estonia when the 6th Red Rifle Division struck the border town of Narva, which marked the beginning of the Estonian War of Independence. 1919, Lady Astor is elected as a Member of Parliament in the UK. She is the first woman to sit in the House of Commons. Uh, Countess Markievicz, the first to be elected, refused to sit. 1920, FIDAC, the inter-allied federation of war veterans organizations the first international organization of war veterans is established in paris france 1920 irish war of independence kill michael ambush the irish republican army ambushes a convoy of british auxiliaries and kills seventeen of them 1925 the Grand Ole opry begins broadcasting in nashville tennessee as the wsm barn dance originally it Broadcast in the Wyman Auditorium. Been there and done that. 1942. Boston, Massachusetts. Fire in the Coconut Grove Nightclub. Kills 492 people. 19... Uh, It was the deadliest nightclub fire in history and the second deadliest single building fire. The most deadly was the Iroquois Theater fire. Uh, Coconut Grove was one of Boston's most popular night spots. It had many celebrity visitors. Owned by uh, Barnett, Barney Walensky, uh, closely connected to the Mafia and the Mayor Maurice Tobin. Uh, fire regulations were flouted. The exit doors had been locked to prevent unauthorized entry and Elaborate palm tree decor contained flammable material, and the air conditioning used flammable gas because of wartime shortage of Freon. It was the uh, first Thanksgiving weekend since the uh, U.S. entered World War II, and the grove was filled to more than twice its legal capacity. Now, the fire supposedly was initiated by an electrical short and fueled by methyl chloride in the air conditioning unit. Flames and smoke spread rapidly through all the areas of the club, and people weren't able to escape because of the locked exit doors. Blame was directed at Lelansky for violation of standards, and he served four years in jail before being released just weeks before he died. Local hospitals were especially well prepared to treat the casualties having been rehearsing emergency drills in response to possible wartime attacks uh, on the East Coast. And this crisis, of course, demonstrated the value of the recently installed blood banks and <coughs> stimulated important advances in treatment of burn victims. Well, 1943, World War Two, Tehran Conference, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, and Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin met in Tehran, Iran, to discuss war strategy. 1958, Chad, the Republic of Congo and Gabon, became autonomous republics within the French community. Also in 1958, first successful flight of SM-65 Atlas, the first operational intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missile developed by the U.S. and the first member of the Atlas rocket family. 1960, Mauritania became independent from France. 1964, Mariner program. NASA launches the Mariner 4 probe toward Mars. Also in 1964, the Vietnam War, National Security Council members agree to recommend that President Lyndon and I'm going to be King Johnson adopt a plan for a two-stage escalation of bombing in North Vietnam. Now that's what I mean about the suits took over running the war. Congress told the President, the President told the military. And the result... The fiasco of us having to abandon a lot of supporters. 1965, Vietnam War in response to U.S. President Lyndon. I'm going to be King Johnson's call for more flags in Vietnam. Philippine President-elect Ferdinand Marcos announces he'll send troops to help fight in South Vietnam. 1966, Michelle Macambero overthrows the monarchy of Burundi and makes himself the first president. 1967 the first pulsar and is discovered by two astronomers Jocelyn Bell Burnell and Anthony Hewish. 1971 Fred Quilt, uh leader of the Suquantan First Nations, suffers severe abdominal injuries uh, allegedly caused by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officers. He dies two days later. Also in 1971, Washfi Al Tal, Prime Minister of Jordan, is assassinated by the Black September Unit of the Palestine Liberation Organization. 1972, last executions in Paris. Claude Buffet and Bontems are guillotined in La Sante prison. On 1975, East Timor declared its independence from Portugal. 1979, Air New Zealand Flight 901, a DC-10 sightseeing flight over Antarctica crashes into Mount Erebus, killed all 257 people on board. 1980, Iran-Iraq War, Operation Morvarid, Bulk of the Iraqi Navy is destroyed by the Iranian Navy in the Persian Gulf. It's commemorated in Iran as Navy Day. 1987, South African Airways Flight 295 crashes into the Indian Ocean, killed all 159 people on board. 1989, Cold War, the Velvet Revolution. In the face of protests, the Communist Party of Czechoslovakia announces it will give up its monopoly on political power. 1990, British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher resigns as leader of the Conservative Party and therefore as Prime Minister. She she is succeeded in both positions by John Major. 1991, South Ossetia declares independence from Georgia. 2002, suicide bombers blew up an Israeli-owned hotel in Mombasa, Kenya. Their colleagues fail in their attempt to bring down Arkea Israel Airlines Flight 582 with surface-to-air missiles. 2014, gunmen set off three bombs at the Central Mosque in the northern Nigerian city of Kano killing killed at least 120 people. And in 2020, over 700 civilians are massacred by the Ethiopian National Defense Force and Eritrean Army in Aksum in Ethiopia. Well, that's the history segment I've got for today. And somebody asked me why i start each show with a history segment and my answer is always the same those that don't know history doomed to repeat it and the history segments that i cover uh, are the main things that happened on that particular date going back as far as i can find it the um the sad thing is our leaders seem dead set on repeating history. We've been talking about (coughs) what I call the Kennedy murders. The assassination of John Kennedy set in motion, uh, which was November 22, 1963, set in motion. Oh, well over a hundred deaths. Murders. People who knew things. People who had heard things. People in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's so many unanswered questions. I mean, quite frankly. Had Oswald not been killed, he would have probably been acquitted. Now, the next one is Karen Kuccinet. Dad of a broken neck. She was an actress. Official verdict it was murder. Now, the medical examiner in the case had a habit of breaking the necks of corpses in his care, which, of course, called into question the initial assumption in this case. And why he wanted to break the necks of corpses sent to him for examination is anybody's guess. Now she's rumored to have made a phone call predicting JFK's assassination, and there are quite a number of inconsistencies about her death. Uh, she was the daughter of a famous Chicagoan Irv Kupcinet, one of the most popular newspaper columnists in the country, and a you know a major celebrity in his own right. She. She moved to Hollywood to establish an acting career and was fairly successful. Made an appearance at a number of TV shows and a few movies. She was found dead in her Hollywood apartment November 30th, 1963. It was medically approximated by the advanced state of decomposition. She had been dead for two or three days when she was found. So that means she died on or about November 28th. Nineteen sixty-three, and in addition to a large amount of drugs in her body, it was determined her neck had been broken by manual strangulation. So the presumption, rightly so, I think, was that she was murdered. Now, key suspect was popular Hollywood actor Andrew Prine, who was um, Karen's boyfriend. They've been having problems, uh, mainly insofar as Karen had. Wanted a very serious relationship with him. and He just wasn't into it. There were apparently no fingerprints of either Andrew Prine or David Lang, a neighbor who's also a suspect, found in her apartment. Um, two sets of fingerprints that went unidentified were found at the crime scene. And Karen had spoken to Andrew Prine at midnight and was... Within 30 minutes of that phone conversation. Now, the evidence, of course, was insufficient to indict either Mr. Prine or anybody else. Still carried on the, the record books um, as an unsolved murder. Now, it was initially reported by uh, a researcher by the name of uh, Penn Jones that uh, Karen had uh, screamed into a telephone to an operator that President Kennedy is going to be killed prior to his assassination. The, uh, according to the um, report, a woman dialed a local operator about 20 minutes before the shooting in Dallas, stated he's going to be shot. And according to the story, the caller was Kupchinnick attempting to warn somebody about the impending assassination. The claim was that Kupchinnick was uh, told of the assassination by her father, who uh, was allegedly told by uh, Jack Ruby, who he met in Chicago in the 1940s. And according to <coughs> excuse me, speculation, her death was the result of a mob hit to silence her and to send a message to Kupchinnick to not talk about what he knew. Now, as I said, Karen was an actress and the daughter of one of the most popular newspaper columnists in the country. Um, Herb Kupchenik was based out of Chicago. Also had a nationally televised talk show. Now, Karen Kupchenik had been dead for two to three days before she was found, as I said, making the autopsy somewhat difficult. Uh, Due to the delay, it was difficult to determine what actually happened due to the state of decomposition. She was found totally nude, face down on the couch in the living room of her Hollywood apartment. TV set was on. front door was unlocked. There was blood on her face and blood uh, had come out of her mouth. The fact was later medically determined she had a broken hyoid bone due to manual strangulation, made it appear she had been murdered. Um, one of the, her neighbors uh, had wanted a relationship, and she she didn't want it. He became a prime suspect, and Kupchenik family in Chicago was convinced that he was the one that killed her. But a number of bizarre facts unfolded over the years, and. Uh, it's come to light that the medical examiner charged with her autopsy had a serious mental malady. He was determined he enjoyed doing strange things to the uh, recently deceased. Apparently other corpses recently in his care that weren't strangled were later found uh, have the exact same broken neck bone that was found in Karen. Um, it was a little bit about to call it foul plays a understatement. Apparently, he criminally assaulted the dead in a number of ways. Now it also been learned that Karen was actually suicidal, excessively over-the-top regarding her relationship with Prine. Actually cut out words from magazines and composed threatening letters she apparently mailed to him. She was anorexic, an early user of, and addicted to amf- uh, amphetamines. <coughs> Excuse me. As dietary method, her old mother reported to condone the use of amphetamines for for the purpose of keeping her weight down, and that topic unfortunately seems to become another problem for Karen to suffer through. Um, now no one's investigated the death of Karen Kupchenek harder than researching writer the name of Kathleen Collins um, according to her. the dead woman's body was found in her Hollywood apartment in an advanced state of decomposition. She'd been in bed for two to three days. Found in the living room. She's totally nude, lying stomach down on the couch with her face on a pillow. TV set was on. No violent was present. If she'd committed suicide, say she took poison, routinely the human body tries to get rid of it. There was a lamp and other household items been knocked over. A lot of cigarette butts on the floor in the living room. And there was a lot of disturbance throughout the house. Clearly the house had been ransacked and it was a mess, except for the bathroom where Karen had apparently showered. There was a towel on the floor of her bedroom that was determined to have been recently wet. There was a bathroom on a chair in the living room. A hairbrush and her nightgown had been placed neatly on her bed. But basically her apartment had been thoroughly trashed. apartment was, uh, there were cigarettes on the floor, clothes falling from drawers, closets open, showing a mink stole, bedclothes torn from the bed, revealing two twin beds that had been shoved together. Now the question becomes, was she such a bad housekeeper, she left closet doors open? Drawers with their contents trailing on the floor, her clothes pulled halfway off the bed? Uh, revealing two twin beds and 100 methamphetamine tablets were missing. Well, no one has come forward to confirm that she was that messy a housekeeper. And then there's the point about the perversions of the, the medical examiner with the finest for broken necks. Upon examination of the circumstances, he knew this was a high-profile murder case. Karen was an actress from a big celebrity family. Her boyfriend was extremely popular actor and her friends were actors as well. It was an extremely high-profile case following, uh, followed nationally, especially by everybody in Chicago and Hollywood. So it's doubtful, whatever his perversions may have been with the lesser-known corpses, that the medical examiner would actually risk his career in molesting the corpse of such a high-profile case that was very much the talk of the town. And if this case was so high-profile that the the medical examiner didn't dare molest the corpse. Then you'd have to say the broken hyoid bone effectively eliminates suicide. But Berkeley wouldn't appear to be motive either because they left the mink stole, which was very expensive, hanging from the open closet, which was clearly visible to anybody who came into the apartment. It was determined that all that was apparently missing was about 100 pills from a container in the bathroom. The container had been left and Apparently, uh, it was a fresh prescription, and you can't swallow 100 pills without a heck of a lot of liquid, so the next step in an investigation would be to determine what liquid she had available to her. The only thing in the room that was liquid was a sour cup of coffee on the other side of the room. As far as what was possible... A person could have taken water directly from the faucet in the bathroom or the kitchen. But if there's a hundred pills to be ingested, that's probably not a likely scenario. And it's also an acknowledged fact female suicides are rarely found naked. Most suicide victims acts to make a dramatic point of looking presentable. Former soldiers sometimes put on their dress blues or the dress uniform of their particular service. So that was a strong presumption that Karen did not commit suicide. So the failure to put on a robe laying down nude on the couch does not add up as far as suicide is concerned. And there were a number of other factors. The note she left was officially misinterpreted as a suicide note. She actually listed the things she felt was long in her life. It wasn't a suicide note. She wasn't saying goodbye does the evidence it's seen conform to the possibility of accidental death? Now, in light of these facts, combined with the fact that a high profile would keep uh, the medical examiner from carrying out any funny business on the corpse, they just logically to the point that suicide can be ruled out. And we can rule out natural causes as well, which means the only thing left is she was murdered. Apparently she laid out a red bathrobe on a chair prior to taking a shower. Then she showered, dried herself off, and we know that because the the once wet towel was found on the bathroom floor, and that's indicative she'd dried after shower, but she never put on her bathrobe, but certainly would have been the next logical step, and that's the precise point where there's a break in the logical progression of events. Something apparently happened to break that chain of logic and distract her attention between the time she dried herself off with the towel and would have gone to put on the bathrobe. So, what could that something have been? Well, there could have been a phone call. Um, but normally, if you answered the phone, having just got out of the shower, she could have just pulled the bathrobe on while talking on the phone, knocking on the door. Well, no, if it had been a knock on the door, she would have put the robe on before she went and answered the door. Um... Now, some folks have speculated that she may have been dancing nude, fallen and broken her neck. There was a book in her home that reportedly included the topic of nude dancing and led to that speculation. But that book wasn't found in the same room as her body and with all the difficulties she was uh, quite apparently experiencing it's highly dubious she would have been in the mood for naked, joyful dancing, but beyond that, the television was on and still on days after later when her body was discovered and that didn't seem conducive to some type of nude dancing there was no vomiting but a hundred pills were missing so it would appear that her killer emptied the pill bottle maybe to stage it as a suicide which accompanied with the note that uh, many mistaken, mistakenly uh, referred to as a suicide note makes it does look like make it makes it look like one. To most, a suicide note and a pill bottle sufficient in her minds to it a suicide. But the room was so messed up, with clothes scattered around, but the bathroom was pristine. It was neat. It seems like staging was something amiss as well. If she laid out a robe but didn't put it on, that alert says to the potential of an intruder in the apartment. The only thing that does easily explain these actions is there's someone in the apartment. If she realized there was an intruder in her home, that would explain why and how she didn't take the time to put on her bathrobe and her neck was broken in a struggle with the intruder. That scenario is about the only one that adequately accounts for her total nude body on the couch in her living room. Now, granted it could have been something else, no question about it, but there's that's a scenario of events that fits the evidence at the crime scene. um... Now to encapsulate it, there was a once damp towel on the floor beside the bed, her hairbrush was on the bed and a nightgown. She possibly went to the door or the living room. Somebody came in, killed her and sacked the house looking for something. The only room the cops found orderly was the bathroom. And inside the medicine chest, the killer apparently stole a hundred, disoxin methamphetamine pills and left the bottle. He, uh, it's believed, he turned on the TV for the light in case somebody thought uh, she was still awake. Now the state of her bedroom was different before than after. Before the murder, she had neatly put her nightgown on the bed and alongside a hairbrush. So, would she ransack the bed while she's trying to go to bed? The belief is that the the apartment was ransacked after she was uh, killed. Both the manner of her broken neck and the blood evidence are consistent with the scenario I just outlined. There's a way of killing people by grabbing them from behind, and getting them in a chokehold, in which they die in a few minutes as the brain is denied oxygen. Had flecks of blood on her face and a pillow. Um, So certainly that would be in keeping with that scenario. So in all likelihood, she was murdered. But the question is, who did it? Well, we don't know. Is it connected to the Kennedy assassination? Well, we know the story about the mystery phone call, having been made by her, is, as uh, many have said is bogus. Um a researcher by the name of Greg Parker figured out about the Oxnard uh, call. It wasn't her, but a Rosicrucian ritual performed using the phone called Radionics. But other very valid points remain. Her father was a famous columnist who was song links to the Chicago mob. And her father did know Jack Ruby. In fact, uh, Herb Kucinic not only knew Ruby, and he worked closely with Jimmy Colitz, one of the, Ruby's oldest and closest Chicago friends. And shortly after Ruby killed Oswald, Herb Kucinic telephoned and mob-connected Paul Red Dorfman in Palm Springs, asking questions about Ruby. Well, Herb Kucinic wasn't just Chicago's biggest newspaper columnist. He was referred to as an institution. He was Chicago's most popular person, knew everything about everyone that there was to know. Also, as was tough of customers, you were going to find. I grew up on the same tough streets that uh, Jack Ruby did. Ran with the gangs, got into trouble, and used his fist. Great at football, making it all the way to the NFL, where he uh, starred for the Philadelphia Eagles until a serious injury ended his career. At that point he went to his next love journalism and he was just as tough as a reporter he developed a reputation for getting to the facts and getting them to the people no matter what happened and chicago was said to have loved him for it in fact they built him a monument there's a huge bronze statue of Herb Kupchinik that welcomes everybody to chicago so he was not a person to back off of a story. In fact, there's a, that was sort of a part of his legend. He wasn't afraid of any story. So that professional toughness was part of his reputation, a component, and a major part of his popularity. But that changed after Jack Ruby shot Oswald, and his daughter Karen was killed shortly after that. His behavior after his daughter's death and for the rest of his life seems to be uh, that of a prominent but incurious newspaper gossips gossip solid columnist behaving as if he's under control by intimidation or some other coercive force. Now, Karen was in Palm Springs the same weekend that Red, uh, that Paul Red Dorfman was there. She'd gone with friends to sort of escape the madness following the death of President Kennedy. And Dorfman was a big-time mobster with national connections and someone that Erv Kupchenik knew very well. The, um, Um. all these folks were in um, Palm Springs Dorfman was tracked down by Irv Kupchinik and asked him about uh, Ruby shooting Oswald in fact Irv called Dorfman so quickly after Ruby shot Oswald Dorfman was not even aware yet what had happened even questioned um, Kupchinik's information He said, Sparky would never do that. Turns out Sparky was the mob's nickname for Jack Ruby. He said, Sparky's the last guy you'd expect to do that. He was a nebbish sort of guy. Well, the feeling of by a lot of investigators was that uh, Dorpon was unnerved by uh, eugenics tenaciousness and eagerness. <clears throat> and it's believed that Dwarfman knew Karen was in Palm Springs that weekend. So maybe that's where the idea came from to keep Kuchinik away from Ruby and the Chicago angle of the assassination. To go with would have been too obvious, but to kill his daughter? Well, whom every Chicagoan knew would take away any interest Irv might have had about Ruby. He'd be in no condition to investigate the Chicago mob. Possibly a plan was afoot to commit an outrageous crime in Chicago sometime after the assassination to get the heat off the mob. So Dorfman, it's believed, may well have taken it upon himself to kill Karen to shock off Chicago. I mean, frankly, a death like that, the high profile, they'd be talk about nothing else. Well, if you look at the entire... Issue. The shock crime theory it does make a lot of sense. Just prior to his murder, casino uh, owner and well connected mobster Jack, Z- Jack Zangretti told friends quite specifically a man named Jack Ruby would kill Oswald and in Frank Sinatra's son would be kidnapped to take attention away from uh, the president's assassination. Both of those events took place precisely as Zangretti had predicted, and then Zangretti was found murdered. Now, there's a book written by a uh, long-time hitman, Frank the Irishman, Sharon. It's called I Heard You Paint Houses. And it's been described as a deathbed confession. Now, Sharon said everybody high up in the mob, and you have to remember Sharon was very close to Russell Buffalino, Jimmy Hoffa, and a number of others, knew that Ruby screwed up on November 22nd, and that's why he personally had to take care of Oswald. In fact, the Giancana family said the same thing in the book they did called Double Cross. Sharon said Jack Ruby's cops were supposed to take care of Oswald and they found him at the theater, but Ruby bungled it. So if he didn't take care of Oswald, the belief was that it put Ruby on a meat hook. Now, Kuchennec was... Not only on a first-name basis with leaders of the Chicago mob, but he traveled in the same circle socially. He's very close friends with friend with mob lawyer Sidney Korshak. Probably would have had uh, pertinent knowledge about Ruby. Kopchenik refused the mob's offer to investigate Karen's death on behalf of the family, always assuming he knew who did it and knew it wasn't a suicide. He was adamant about leaving it alone that friends knew well there was a subject they were never supposed to bro uh, breach to him. had quite obviously backed off as typically a thorough investigative reporting concerning Ruby's connections to the Chicago mob and the silence of Oswald. I mean, others such as Dorothy Kilgallen found it so obvious and abhorrent that uh, they vowed to keep investigating it to the end and that caused uh, Kilgallen to be murdered herself. A lot of folks at least suspected Sinatra Jr.'s kidnapping had been staged in some way. You know, much the same as the Obvious suspicions of something being rotten in Denmark when they uh, witnessed how easily Ruby assassinated Oswald on live TV as the Dallas police stood by and watched. Now whether or not it was actually planned as a shock crime to divert attention away from Jack Ruby's mafia connections, the same effect was achieved. Karen's death completely took over the headlines was the primary topic of conversation for a long time after that. And then, exactly as predicted, Frank Sinatra's son was kidnapped on December 8th, 1963, before Karen's murder completely faded from the headlines. Now, Eric Kucinic, as I said, was the most popular man in Chicago. So, murdering his daughter would certainly get everybody's attention. His best friend was Sidney Korshak. The Mafia lawyer who was investigated so many times, but they never found anything he had done that was illegal. And if the hit had been ordered from Chicago, Korshak, uh would certainly have known about it. He met her at the airport and later identified the remains of Herb's daughter. And in almost before the smoke cleared there, Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped. Now, who worked harder to get Kennedy? elected president than Sinatra. Well, certainly his son was high profile enough that it uh, certainly distracted the public. If it was a shock crime, it worked. Karen's death took over the headlines, especially in Chicago. Any focus would have been placed on Jack Ruby's Chicago mob connections uh, quickly evaporated. And if she was killed to hurt Kupchinnick, nobody could do a better job. Now, there's also no reason that Karen's family couldn't have had a second or more professional autopsy done. I mean, with their wealth and influence, they could have easily accomplished this. With the obviously totally botched first autopsy performed by a man who himself had broken the necks of bodies entrusted to his care, and with all the, the rape and murder accusations swirling around the case... You have to ask yourself, why wasn't a second autopsy performed? Well, the evidentiary indications bring you to some conclusions. Next of all, the corpses were apparently broken by the mentally disturbed medical examiner, initially making the ruling of murder seem very open to scrutiny. And a lot of folks have noted that Karen may have committed suicide. She was depressed. There was a note left, and friends reported she had been deeply disturbed and overwhelmed by events. Looks like she might have taken contents of the empty pill bottle that was found. But the fact that she dried off with a towel after taking a shower and then neglected to put on the robe, which she laid out before her shower, is an indication of foul play, not suicide. In fact, she died very quickly, nude on her couch. And as far as anybody knows, nobody was ever formally apologized to actor Andrew Prine for ruining a large portion of his life with a false accusation of murder. is The mystery call foretelling the assassination of President Kennedy was not placed by Karen, but uh, you have to ask who did and how he got attached to her. Well, the real story seems to be that everything links back to Chicago and Jack Ruby. Therefore, one theory exists that whatever Karen's personal problems were, the Chicago mob ended them and did so as a vehicle with which to attempt to draw attention away from the recent nationally televised assassination of the president's killer committed by the Chicago mob's uh, man, Jack Ruby. And it did indeed serve that purpose, planned or otherwise, at least in Chicago, where Kupcheniks were like a royal family. And there is a large amount of circumstantial evidence supporting that thesis. Now, Jack Ruby was closely affiliated with the Chicago Boys and was soon to murder Oswald right in the middle of a police station on national TV. So the heat on Chicago was already tremendous and was expected to increase exponentially very quickly. Something had to be done. Now, Irv Kupchenik knew Ruby. And worked closely with uh, Jimmy Colitz, one of Ruby's oldest and closest Chicago friends. Now certainly Kupitnik would have known about Jack Ruby's affiliations with the boys and might have been inclined to report precisely that as he was uh, when push came to shove, an excellent reporter. Now unlike fellow columnist, Arthur K. Gallin, who vowed publicly to get to the truth and uncovered the obvious conspiracy in Ruby's silencing of Oswald, Kupchenik remained virtually silent on the subject, never publicly divulging the secret, but the highly pertinent knowledge of Ruby's strong linkage to the Chicago mob. So it bears noting from a standpoint of scientific logic that simply cause the story about uh, Karim Kupchenik made, uh, making the mystery, mystery phone calls false. that doesn't negate the possibility her death related to the Jack Ruby Chicago mob connection. So at the end of the day, when you look at all the information, it's certainly probably murder. The alleged linkage to the mystery phone calls false. But her death being a shot crime to dominate the media attention, divert focus from Jack Ruby's links to the Chicago mob, remains a very strong possibility. Certainly, you have to ask yourself. Based on Herb Kochenik's reputation, you'd thought he'd go after his daughter's killer like a bulldozer, but instead, he meekly toddled off into the sunset. That does raise interesting questions. Well, our next name on the hip parade is Grant Stockdale. He was a close friend of Kennedy. He was a Wheeler dealer in the highest echelons of the Democratic Party. Former ambassador to Ireland, and close friend of the, of the President Kennedy. He fell and was pushed from his office window on the 13th floor of the DuPont building in Midtown, Miami. Officially, it was considered a suicide. I mean, his behavior was normal. Came into his office for work on a Monday morning. Very pleasant, conversed amiably. Didn't seem suicidal. Police placed the time of his death at 10.17 a.m. The only other person in the victim's office at that precise moment would have been his killer, uh, who, frankly, could have easily have entered the office. There was no suicide note found, and Stockdale was apparently mixed up with some very serious political shenanigans. He was a big wheel in the Democratic Party and a person considerable influence in Washington, also mixed up in the corruption of the Bobby Baker scandal. Also involved in matters related to another brewing, uh, called in a corruption involving the seven billion dollar F, one eleven contract to Texas General's Dynamics Corporation, and both scandals, had threatened to ruin Lyndon. I'm going to be King Johnson politically. Now the official line is Stockdale committed suicide because he was depressed about the murder of his friend uh, Kennedy. It seemed an incredibly weak supposition. As one author noted, um, hard-headed businessmen in Stockdale were certainly hard-headed, as his record shows, don't kill themselves because a friend's been murdered, even if that friend is the President of the United States. Research established on November 26, 1963, Stockdale flew to Washington, D.C., and met with JFK's brothers, Ed and Edward, Robert and Edward Kennedy. On his return, he told several of his friends the world is closing in. December 1st, 1963, talked to his attorney, William Freights, who uh, said he started talking. It didn't make much sense. He said something about those guys trying to get him, and he talked about the assassination. That was the day before he supposedly he jumped from his uh, 13th floor office. His daughter stated publicly her father knew he was being followed. He told her mother that some people had to get him, and She herself had an attempt on her life several days after her father's funeral. She believed the attempt on her life was a way to coerce her mother into remaining silent, which apparently worked. Some researchers have speculated Stockdale figured out that anti-Castro intelligence operation had been hijacked and turned against President Kennedy instead. uh, And for that reason, Stockdale had to be killed. Stockdale was also friends of U.S. Senator George Smathers of Florida, who was another close friend of President Kennedy. The, um, Stockdale headed the Kennedy campaign in Florida. And after JFK won the Democratic nomination for president, Stockdale was Kennedy's campaign finance chairman for 11 southern states. So he knew his way around. He was well-connected. He had a reputation as a very tough politician and businessman. By all accounts, he was a tough cookie. Seems highly implausible, therefore, that being depressed over Kennedy's death was sufficient to have him uh, leap to his death out of his office window without uh, leaving a note for his wife, five children, mother, and friends. Well, one researcher delved deeply into it and said at 10 o'clock on Monday, December 2nd, 1963, he came to his office on the 13th floor of the Alfred DuPont building. Uh, his secretary, Laverne Weingartner, who usually opened the office, would not there, but at a dentist's office and wouldn't arrive until 10.30. Stockdale went into a law office across the hall from his and asked Miss Mary Ruth Hauser how he could get a key to unlock his office door. She offered to call the building manager to send somebody to open it. According to Miss Hauser, he followed me into my office and stood there while I called down for the key. He was very calm. He didn't seem at all agitated. Somehow the subject of the president's death came up, and he said he was in his office uh, when his wife called him and told him the president had been shot. Well, Stockdale and Ms. Houser were still talking, and somebody came to unlock his door. She started to follow him across the hall, but she said her office phone started ringing, and she went back to answer it. She said it could have been, could have been five minutes later that it was this terrible thud. I just wonder if I'd gone with him. I don't know. I guess it wouldn't have made any difference. The whole world just gone mad. Now, all the people saw and spoke to Stockdale on his way to work said he was in good spirits, waving and saying hello. He stopped for a shoe shine, spoke to the elevator operator, and exchanged words with the parking uh, garage attendant. And that just doesn't seem like a suicidal victim. And one newspaper report states Mrs. Stockdale urged her husband to seek help for his depression from the assassination. But she called the doctor on Monday to inform him he was so much better. Furthermore, Grant Stockdale's own daughter, Ann Stockdale, came up with some information concerning her father's uh, death. She said, one thing I do know is Kennedy asked Daddy to go to the Air Force Base south of Miami to see if, uh, against Kennedy's orders, bombs were being loaded onto planes. And bombs were, in fact, being loaded onto planes. She said she believed that's one of the reasons her father was killed, because he knew that the gun was being run by the military complex. Now, the military complex didn't want the American people to realize, and they were calling the shots. She said her father knew he was being followed, and he told his, uh, her mother they were going to get him, and they did. And as I said earlier, there was the actually an the attempt on the daughter's life uh, several days after the funeral, um, which is believed by the daughter to be a scare tactic to get her mother to stay silent. Well, the simple facts, he's an intimate friend of Kennedy. Man with a reputation as a tough businessman. No, he well-connected in, in Washington, privy to high-level information and capable of connecting the dots. He was involved in two major scandals that were brewing that had seriously threatened the entire political career of President Lyndon and I'm going to be King Johnson. Did not leave a suicide note or any other indications he's been, he was facing the end. Confronted Friday to France and his attorney on the day before his death that the people are trying to get him and was linked to the assassination. The conclusion when they're all is said and done is probable murder and probably linked to the Kennedy assassination. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. I'll be back tomorrow and want to talk about some more folks who died because they do too much about the Kennedy assassination. Until then, this is Ken Hodnell for the Ken Hodnell Show saying have a truly great evening.